Harry Potter. Oh, Harry Potter. 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 And the Half Drunk Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Harry Potter and the Half Drunk Podcast. I'm Emily. I'm Sam. And this week, we are finally diving into Harry Potter and the Half Blood Prince. Almost said Half Drunk Podcast. I did. <laughs> <laughs> so this week, That's we funny. are focusing on chapters one through eight, and we not a whole lot happens. But first, let's jump into the drink of the week. There's some stuff that happens. Not as much I mean, as we're used to, I think. No, not as... Yeah, I mean, for it being, what, like 160, 70 pages that we have read, yeah, it doesn't pick up as quickly, but I do think we have to appreciate that this is really the last time we go to Hogwarts with them as students. I'm not complaining that it's not crazy, because I feel like we can really get into depth about this and not feel like we're leaving anything out. So. We still inevitably will leave stuff out. We probably but, will. And I'm sure it will get pointed out to us. Definitely will. <laughs> Before they have the chance to point that out, yes, let's get to the drink of the week, which is the Unbreakable Vow cocktail, which is basically our take on a Vow of Silence cocktail. And traditionally, the Vow of Silence cocktail is made with gin, but we decided to make it with bourbon, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) So you take two ounces of bourbon, three quarter ounce of vermouth, a quarter ounce of honey liqueur, and three dashes of bitters. And you mix them all together and stir it briefly with some ice and then strain it into a glass and you can garnish it if you wish with a lemon peel. And, um... What do you think about it? I mean, lately, I feel like we're seeing a trend in our drinks of the week. We're really into (laughs) bourbon honey drinks. So maybe we'll start branching out and have some holiday beverages here soon. Yes, we must. Except not eggnog again. Because (laughs) happy December. But uh, I I just, I can't with the vermouth. Mm -hmm. It's not my jam. It's also a little too bittery for me like three dashes is kind of a lot when you only have basically three ounces of drink with ice it is a lot but you know i think the unbreakable vows a lot so maybe this is just the perfect it's a better pill to swallow it is it is is. it's a lot (laughs) (laughs) well we're killing the puns today oh my gosh but this actually kind of leads us in to our poll result question Mm-hmm. Which was, would you ever make the unbreakable vow? So on Facebook, 52% said yes, 48% said no. And there was a comment, it'll have to be for a really good reason for someone I really love. Which, yes, mm-hmm. I agree. Mm-hmm. On Instagram, 51% said yes and 49% said no. So almost the same result there. And on Twitter, 62% yes and 38% no. This actually, I was kind of expecting more people to say no, I'll be honest. But what did you say, Sam? Um, I really struggled with this. I gave this a lot of thought, and I'm kind of in agreement with the person on Facebook. I feel like I would have to really, really love the person who I was making the unbreakable vow to and know that I was capable of, of following through with that. Because it's not just keeping a secret, right? It's like... You'll die. Snape basically promised he would follow through and do everything that he could to protect Draco. He wasn't and step in if Draco couldn't do it. He wasn't just saying, yeah, I promise to keep a secret for you. And if I tell somebody I die, no, there's action involved with it. Right. So it would have to be someone that I really, really care about and for a really, really good reason. Otherwise, no, I don't think I would do it. Yeah, I said I would. I agree. I'd have to think about it. Probably wouldn't be a spur of the moment type deal that happened with Snape. And I I think mine would come with only certain people. So when I was thinking about it, I was like, well, if Sam really needed help with something or if Sam's child needed 
like immense protection. Right. Then, yeah. In a yeah, there's certain people I would just jump in front of a bullet for, right? But right. You know. But would I willy nilly do it? Absolutely. Not. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't think it's something that you would do for that reason, right? I mean, would she I do came it to, to prove my allegiance to Voldemort? Probably not. <laughs> she came to Snape because she trusted him and because Draco looks up to him as a father figure. At this point, they don't understand he's a double agent, and we don't even know that. No, so, at this point, we think that yeah. Harry was right all along about him. Exactly. So as she really came to him, I think she gave this a lot of thought, and th- he was the best person for this job. And at this point, even though he is a double agent, I think he does care about Draco. I mean, Lucius is one of his best friends, regardless of his allegiance changing. I think he's still his friend, and... I think there's a mutual respect, and I think yeah. that Lucius probably considers him a friend, but I think that Snape probably considers himself to not really have any friends. Yeah, perhaps, but I think he does care about Draco, and, you know, at this point, the task, which we find out later what it is, obviously, but the task that Draco has, and Snape knows that there's no way in hell he's going to follow through with this, and if he does, it's going to scar him for life, and I think he just wants to protect him from himself, basically. Yeah. And he basically already knows that he's going to carry it out. Right. Anyways. Yeah. But interesting. A lot of you guys are willing to sacrifice yourselves for your friends. So that's great. Yeah. Good to know. <laughs> but um, so before we start deep diving, because we've already kind of started, are we going to do a Shag, Mary Kill? I think we should. So Shag, Mary Kill. Let's do some we haven't done in a while. Or haven't done at all. Petunia. <laughs> that has been a while. Scrimmage. Scrim, scrimgior? Scrimgior. 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 The new Let's minister. just call him Rufus. Can we just call him Rufus from now on? Yes. Uh, Rufus Scrimgior, the new minister of magic. And... Let's do floor. <laughs> you mean phlegm? Phlegm. <laughs> oh, boy. You really okay. could have three different characters. Okay, well, I would shag phlegm, marry Rufus, and kill Petunia. Okay. I would marry floor, shag Rufus, kill Petunia. <laughs> I just don't think I could put up with her in my married life. Four? I'm not as I'm not as strong as Bill Weasley. <laughs> oh goodness! Well, she's entertaining at least. She is a sweetheart. So we'll get to it. Okay, let's start. So, chapter one, the other minister. I like. I love the beginning of this book because one it doesn't start with Harry it jumps straight into the action and kind of gives you what's going on in the background and I think that's important in this stage of the wizarding war yeah so where I do you know like the books that start with Harry I think because it is wartime and because things are getting a bit more serious it makes sense for us to have some background of what's going on yeah, and you know, when I first read these books when I was younger, I thought it was kind of boring, this chapter, and I always kind of feel like the first chapter, you know, is background and is more dull than the rest of the book, but I really had the opposite view when I was younger reading, and now I really empathize with this muggle prime minister mm-hmm. in this first chapter, and Fudge is just such a nitwit that even a muggle, and albeit probably very intelligent muggle prime minister, could see through him. And when he he doesn't know what the hell he's talking about most of the time. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I felt bad for him, and I agree. I think it was really good that they set up, like, this is the action taking place in the rest of the world, not just Harry Potter's world. I also think it's pretty cool how it showed the interaction between the muggle world with the wizarding world. We don't get to see Mm -hmm. that very often. and We didn't really have an answer for that before. Right. And to see him, like, you know, tell him, oh, by the way, (laughs) we're flying in three dragons and a sphinx. Right. Or four dragons and a sphinx, sorry. And 
the prime minister being like, what? Like, <laughs> excuse me? So it, and it's just interesting. It's kind of, I think the Wizarding World or certain ministers of the Wizarding World definitely look down on the muggles and kind of just tell them what they think they could do. But I think it's important to kind of see the bridge of how impacted their lives are being, especially with Voldemort coming back into power. And it's not just affecting the wizarding world. It's affecting everyone. Except for the muggles have no earthly idea what the hell's going on. So it has to be, it's scary for everyone. Right. And all these strange things are happening to the muggles that they can't explain. And it's obviously part of the wizarding world and the prime or the minister of magic well, Fudge explains it, and then he tells him that he's not Minister of Magic anymore. He's like, did you really think I'd keep my job after all this shit? Right. Uh, and then we meet the new minister, which, of course, is the lion-maned Rufus Scrimgeour, however the fuck you say that, Rufus. And um, he's a little bit more formidable than Fudge. Yeah. But then we go to the next chapter, right? Which, this is one of my favorite chapters of the entire series. It always has been, and I think that's an interesting fact about me, considering that I'm on the fence about Snape half the time, that this is one of my favorite chapters. It's just so interesting to me because it shows that Death Eaters are human beings, too. And, you know, Narcissa is terrified for Draco and pissed off at Voldemort and, you know, mourning the loss of her husband being detained in Azkaban, even though he could get out at any point. But it's just interesting to me also the inner workings and how different Bellatrix and Narcissa are. And for me, I really like how Bellatrix, you know, doesn't trust Snape as far as she could throw him. She sees right through him. and. Yeah. I also really like, we get sassy Snape in this chapter, <laughs> and not, like, abusive Snape. We get, like, him interacting oh, with he definitely, his peers. Yeah, he puts her in her place. He knows exactly how to deal with her. Right. But I want to talk about, just really quickly, Bellatrix's blatant disregard also for animal life, and it's something that I never really picked up on before, but... At the very beginning of chapter two of Spinner's End, when they first apparate on, into the village, there's a fox that's watching Bellatrix and Narcissa, and it rustles, and then without even thinking, Bellatrix just kills it. Like, she turns around, hears a rustle, and just sends a killing spell at whatever was rustling behind her. Like, she didn't know who it was. She just killed it yeah. immediately, just hearing it. And I was just like, damn, this bitch... Like, I, I knew that she was, you know, kind of evil and didn't really care about killing people at all. But just the fact that she didn't even know what was making that sound and it could have been a human and it was a fox and she didn't have any remorse for that either. I was just like, okay, she, this is just further proof that this bitch is just crazy. But yeah, I love I her. I mean, she's pure evil. Uh, she has a blatant disregard for life in general. It doesn't, Yeah. She doesn't think also before her actions. She's super impulsive. And yeah. I think it's interesting how different Narcissa is. So this is our first real introduction to Draco's mother. We've, you know, seen her in the background in the past, but you know, she deeply loves her son to the fact that to the I mean, she's betraying her master. She's betraying Voldemort's trust, and she's going against everything that he told her not to do. He told her not to tell anybody about this. Right. And Bellatrix is trying to talk her out of going to Snape, because Bellatrix is like, look, I don't trust Snape. And Narcissus is like, well, the Dark Lord trusts him. And Bellatrix is like, well, I believe he is mistaken about that. But props right. to Narcissa for actually standing up to Bellatrix, because she says that she won't let anything really get in her way and um, she's a mama bear on a mission if like she again was if there's threatening one her. thing that this series highlights time and time again it's a mother's love and it doesn't matter what side of the coin you're on i mean these moms fucking love their kids yeah so yeah that's true but then snape gets to live out a childhood dream and order around a marauder <laughs> <laughs> albeit the freaking rat. Marauder, Albeit Wormtail, but, but still. Yeah. 
You can tell he deeply enjoys it because he was in the background of all the taunting while he was at school. Right. He was still part of the clique. Right. So as we mentioned a little bit earlier, Bellatrix just seriously does not trust Snape at all. She doesn't understand it. She doesn't understand how he's fooled the Dark Lord. He, she hates how condescending he is. Toward, you, they just don't get along. You can tell. I mean, they have a mutual interest, but you can tell they both just hate each other. Well, I think that Bellatrix also is a little bit jealous of Snape and how much Voldemort seems to respect Snape and trust him. And she doesn't want really to share the uh, spotlight with any other Death Eater being his favorite. You know what I mean? Right. And then also we find out that Snape was indeed a sneaky little brown noser with a hidden agenda. And at this point, like Sam said earlier in the episode, we're like, Harry was right. No one was listening to him, and Harry was right. And we also get a sassy Snape moment. So on page 26, Bellatrix has been questioning him and is asking why Voldemort trusts him so much and if he's actually loyal because he didn't show back up. And he says, before I answer you, oh yes, Bellatrix, I'm going to answer. You can carry my words back to the others who whisper behind my back and carry false tales of my treachery to the Dark Lord. Before I answer you, I say, let me ask a question in turn. Do you really think the Dark Lord has not asked me each and every one of those questions? And do you really think that had I not been able to give satisfactory answers, I would be sitting here talking to you? And then if you skip ahead... He basically, you know, confesses to her that he is through and through a Death Eater and super loyal to Voldemort and has pulled the wool over Dumbledore's eyes, who had allowed him to live, and he really only did that to save his own skin. And as soon as he found out that Voldemort was coming back, he went back to him in the graveyard per Dumbledore's orders, only to stay on as a double agent, but for the other side. Right. I literally have the same exact quotes written out, too, that I just have so much respect for not only how he stands up for Bellatrix, but how his his rationale and his story is just so well put together and so convincing that you believe it. I believe it. We all believe it. We all think that Dumbledore is mistaken and that Harry was right. And it just it makes a whole lot of sense what he's saying. Like, I was thoroughly convinced. Okay, now I know Snape's bad and I hate him. Yeah. The first time I read this, I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. Like, how did you fool We believed brightest... in you. Yeah. How dare you? <laughs> I turned into Tyra Banks, basically. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's just, it really, this rocked my world the first time I read it. And even still, the way that you said his story is so well put together and so well articulated. He doesn't miss a beat. He has a defense of everything she throws at him. Right. And it really does convince everybody the first time you read this. And hell, even like, I don't even know how many times I've read this, but I'm still like mm, looking for like some way to be like, yeah, see, see, he actually was for them. But that is a part of why he is the bravest man that Harry's ever met. Yep. He was willing to put it all on the line. So anyway, Narcissa asks him if he would help Draco with the task that Voldemort has asked him to do. And luckily for her, Snape already knew what Voldemort was asking him to do. So she didn't really have to tell a secret and betray what she had said she wouldn't do to Voldemort. Right. And then he agrees to make the unbreakable vow and he prompts Bellatrix to be their bonder. So I think that, like, challenges Bellatrix even further to prove his loyalty to the cause. Yeah. So, yeah, he agrees to help him, and if Draco fails, he agrees to carry out what he cannot. Right. Which we don't really know what it's going to be at this point, but one could assume it's something major, because Voldemort's trying to get back at Lucius, and Draco is just trying to prove himself. Yeah. Which he feels like he has a lot to prove because his father is now in Azkaban and fucked up. Right. So the whole family has a lot of making up to do in the eyes of the Dark Lord. (laughs) But then after that, we are in chapter three, will and won't. And Harry is asleep in his room, kind of asleep on the window. He's a full mood right now. His (laughs) mouth is like open and he's snoring. 
<laughs> like, this is me on a Friday after a long work week. <laughs> <laughs> but he is waiting for Dumbledore, who said that he was going to come fetch him. We also get all of these newspaper headlines about how Harry Potter is the chosen one and <laughs> scrimmager succeeding fudge and how to protect your home and family against dark forces and yada, yada, yada. And then we see Harry just not really believing that Dumbledore is actually going to come and get him. So he, yeah, he hadn't packed pack. anything. He had not prepared. He was just waiting until possibly Dumbledore would show up on Friday and and at 11 p.m are you kidding me you're gonna show up at the dursley's house at 11 p.m on a friday he's just trying to make trouble let's be real (laughs) i do love him though he literally schools the dursleys so many times on how rude they are and how they don't have manners and he's just he's loving every single second of it and i love how he is saying like i assume that harry told you i must be coming and and then he says, judging by your look of stunned disbelief, Harry did not warn you that I was coming, said Dumbledore pleasantly. However, let us assume that you have invited me warmly into your house. It is unwise to linger over long on doorsteps. And uh, Vernon says, I don't mean to be rude, in a tone that threatened rudeness in every single syllable. Yet sadly, accidental rudeness occurs alarmingly often. Dumbledore <laughs> finished the sentence greatly. He's That's so to sassy. say nothing at all, my dear man. Ah, this must be... He's just... Yeah, he's so sassy, but he is also clearly enjoying this interaction with them. Like, he loves to make them uncomfortable. I know. And my... Can I just read the one about the drinks? Because my favorite quote from this chapter is the one about the drinks because this is how I feel when you go to someone's house and you're like awkwardly sitting there and no one offers you anything to drink. (laughs) You're like, I would assume that you're going to offer me a refreshment, Dumbledore said to Uncle Vernon, but the evidence so far suggests that would be rather optimistic to the point of foolishness. A third twitch of the wand and a dusty bottle and five glasses appeared in midair. The bottle tipped and poured a generous measure of honey-colored liquid into each of the glasses, which then floated to each person in the room. Madame Rose Myrta's finest oak-matured weed. <laughs> weed? Oak-matured mead. And then they're not drinking it, and it's like hitting them in the face. <laughs> Like spilling onto them, and it keeps hitting them harder and harder. He just goes on like nothing is. uh, And he basically tells them it's rude that they're not drinking it because, like, Vernon's like, "Can you make this stop?" And he's like, "Well, you could be drinking. (laughs) You could just take it." Oh, oh yeah, yeah, here it is. Oh, I'm so sorry, but it would have been better manners to drink it, you know. Yeah, he just keeps telling them how rude they are, basically. Not only that, but this whole chapter is him just being so sassy. Well, yeah, then he basically puts them in their place for how sorely they've treated Harry the past 15 years. Yeah, but, oh my gosh, though. So he's, like, calling them out on everything, saying he's malnourished, all this stuff. He still has to come back there and call it his home for one more year because that's when wizards come of age. And, of course, Vernon had something to say about that. And then he, like, had asked them to treat him like a son. And this is his response to them, which is just savage, completely savage. You did not do as I asked. You have never treated Harry as a son. He has known nothing but neglect and often cruelty at your hands. The best that can be said is that he has at least escaped the appalling damage you have inflicted upon the unfortunate boys sitting between you. Us? Mistreat debtors? <laughs> I mean, he's just coddled to the point of, you know... He gets whatever he wants, and yeah, that's not and real parenting. Yeah, he's coddled to the point of, like, he's crippled by it. He's literally crippled by it. And he's going to be in for a rude awakening if he ever moves out of his parents' house. Which he won't. But, yeah, if he ever did, perhaps um, meet a nice young lady or Or man. man, Yeah. He wouldn't know how to be an adult or live on his own or do anything for himself. He's a mom's boy, too. Harry had to figure all that out when he was basically 10 years old. He was doing everything for himself. Exactly. And then uh, Dumbledore turns to Harry and asks if he's ready and then he's like well I guess you didn't pack 
so he gets sassy towards Harry, too, so he has to wait for him to pack. And then he closes the chapter with one of my favorite quotes, too. And mm, now, mm-hmm. Harry, let us step out into the night and pursue that flighty temptress adventure. Yes, I wrote this down, too. I love it so much. I think that needs to be the name of this chapter. That flighty temptress adventure. <laughs> Oh, it's so uh, just, good. We're not even halfway done. Like, all these chapters, like, so far, we're only three chapters in, and they're so solid. Like, this book is just so good. It's so right. good. It, I can't. Like, we're not even to Hogwarts, where usually that's when it picks up well, and I gets think that, exciting. Yeah, but I think having Dumbledore in these first few, well, first three and four at least, has what really made it for me because he is definitely one of my favorite characters and he just continues into chapter four his like kind of humble arrogance that i love because he deserves all of the arrogance in the world yeah and um he says keep your wand at the ready harry but i thought i'm not allowed to use magic outside of school sir if there is an attack said dumbledore i give you permission to use any counter jinx or curse that might occur to you however i do not think you need to worry about being attacked tonight why not sir you were with me said dumbledore simply this will do harry so he's just like yeah you don't really have to worry about shit because no one's gonna attack you because you're with me this book is actually like a love letter to dumbledore's character gosh because we really fall in love with him you know in the first four books i might not say the fifth one until the very end because everyone was kind of mad at him in the fifth book right because we were seeing it through harry's eyes but this book i think really shows all of the wit and he's like openly caring about harry now like he's not trying to suppress that like he's openly like taking him under his wing and like helping him through things and you know just shows how powerful he is and it really is a love letter to him this entire book yeah and i feel like you know dumbledore also has realized that he has to do that now he realized it at the end of the fifth book and also now he i think knows that he's not gonna make it with his dead arm like he knows that the horcruxes and right. voldemort voldemort secondhandly is going to be his demise and he doesn't have much longer to impart all of his wisdom and skill and knowledge into harry so right so anyway they're walking they apparated now they're walking down the street and um there's a little bit of foreshadowing when harry brings up the inferi who mm-hmm. Or they were mentioned in the little leaflet in the uh, Daily Prophet. And Dumbledore kind of explains what they are to him. Yeah, they're corpses, dead bodies that have been bewitched to do the dark... To do a dark zombies. Yeah. Scary zombies. And then they go, they go to this house and they come into it. <laughs> and it's completely disheveled. And it literally looks like an attack had just happened here. And then... <laughs> Without a warning, Dumbledore swooped, plunging the tip of his wand into the seat of the overstuffed chair, which yelled, Ouch! <laughs> Good evening, Horace, <laughs> said Dumbledore, straightening up again. So, we meet Horace Slughorn. I just we, love that image of Dumbledore swooping and poking a chair. <laughs> so, yeah, they get there, and, you know, he tells them that he didn't know who it was so he on the spot within three minutes created this scene of complete destruction so that if a death eater had come a calling he wouldn't it would look assume that he had already gotten captured so my favorite part of this chapter though is when he realizes who harry is (laughs) he's like oh i'm like what even what noise is that and then dumbledore you know kind of disappears he goes to the bathroom. <laughs> yeah, he excuses himself. And Slughorn and Harry are left to talk about him, like, interact with each other. And it's kind of awkward at first because, you know, Slughorn is talking about Lily and, you know, kind of insults her a bit, even though he, like, genuinely cared for her. We talked about this last week. About her being a muggle-born. About her being a muggle-born. So it's, like, funny how that happens sometimes, isn't it? And Harry's like, um, not Not really. really. (laughs) No? (laughs) I don't think it's funny at all, actually. Yeah. Charisse comes out a little bit in this chapter. (laughs) You mustn't think I'm prejudiced, though. Oh, no, 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 no. (laughs) Okay. Okay. (laughs) 
<laughs> so then he kind of like goes into depth about how he used to teach at Hogwarts and he's friends with Dumbledore. And he's name dropping all of these famous people that Harry literally could not give two shits about. Yes, he is. Um, and then Dumbledore finally emerges from the bathroom and <laughs> says, I do love knitting patterns because he was fascinated <laughs> by the Muggle magazine. Oh, merely reading the Muggle magazines. <laughs> And then Slughorn agrees to take the job. Miraculously. Right. After a lot of coaxing and basically saying no, and they were on their way out, one foot out the door, and he was just like, oh, very well. I'll do it. All right. I guess I pull my leg. I can add Harry Potter to my collection. And I think, yes, it was Harry Potter being a part of his collection, but also realizing that he's not going to be better protected, and we kind of said this last week, than being with Dumbledore. Right. So... Yep, so he comes back to Hogwarts, and Harry assumes that he will be coming back as the Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher, even though Dumbledore never really said that. That's just what he thought. But then Dumbledore escorts Harry on to the burrow, but before they go to the burrow, they stop in the little broom shed and have a quick catch-up chat, and Dumbledore is kind of wondering how Harry's doing, and He's checking in on his mental health. Yeah, he's having a little check-in, and he advises Harry that he should probably tell Ron and Hermione about the prophecy and what it really said and meant. And, yeah, Harry doesn't really waste any time to do that either. No, he doesn't. So, we're finally back at the burrow, one of my favorite places to be, and, you know... With an excess of phlegm. With an excess of phlegm. They get there, and Molly is there, and Tonks is there, and... They notice that Tonks is looking pretty, um, weird, pretty depressed. Yeah, she's got mousy hair, and she's just cupping a mug of, let's say, tea, and she looked drawn, even ill, and there was something forced in her smile. Certainly, her appearance was less colorful than usual without her customary shade of bubblegum pink hair. So that's our first glimpse at morning slash depressed slash heartsick tonks and i really for as much as i love jenny's character in this i feel so sad for tonks in this yeah especially after hermione because you know hermione is deducing it down to what she can imagine is the reason for this right and she tells harry later in this chapter that she thinks it's because she blames herself for sirius's death which, right. you know, might partially be it, too. It in addition might. to all I mean, the Remus stuff. They are relatives, and, you know, I think she... I don't think it's a stretch to think that she would feel responsible because she was the one who was dueling Bellatrix and ultimately failed. Which, okay, side note, why wouldn't Bellatrix have just killed Tonks if she loves to kill everybody else? Yeah, and because that's her niece. Right, who she also should hate for being... Yeah. Well, her mother is already a blood traitor in her book. But, yeah. So, anyways, yeah, I totally think that that could be part of it. And then, also, we know now that it was because of Lupin and them not being together. But we get a bit of good news. Uh, Arthur Weasley has been promoted. Hey, making that bread. Yep, get that bread. Um, But also, it's interesting to point out that everyone's heads point to mortal danger on Weasley's clock. Molly's carrying the clock around everywhere with her. (laughs) Yeah. She's so cute. So then she sends Harry up to bed because everyone is already asleep because it's like 1 a.m. And then Ron and Hermione wake him up. Basically, Ron, like, jumps on him is how I imagine that going. Right. So then they're all chatting. And Jenny comes in. There's a lot of Jenny time. Right. Jenny basically is with them all the time but before they go back to Hogwarts. Mm-hmm. But Hermione is constantly scanning Harry over, like, waiting for him to crack and want to talk about Sirius because she is so ready to talk about Sirius if he wants to. Like, she's there to listen. She has read, like, five books on <laughs> grief and therapy at this point. I think that's how she spent her summer vacation. She's like, well, one of you, please give me some emotion. <laughs> Look, I've, stu- I've studied and prepared for this because <laughs> I was not prepared last year and you kept biting my head off, but I got <laughs> exactly. you. I took the time now that I'm not studying for nine OWLs to 
finally learn how to deal with your problems. <laughs> so, <laughs> and then we get Ari. She said in a throaty voice, "It has been too long. <laughs> it has been too long." <laughs> And Fleur Delacour is there, and it is revealed that she's dating Bill, and he decided to drop her off with the fam. For this some is reason. going to be a wedding. <sighs> and, you know, Ginny is trying to cope with that. I think. Ginny fucking hates her. Okay, so I have been a little sister of, you know, and I've not liked some of the people that my brother has dated. And it, it is difficult. It is very difficult. And I really feel for Ginny. Fleur de Lacour is a lot to deal with. And she's also, like, out to lunch with people's feelings. And she's just a lot. She is. But I think for Jenny, it's, yes, it's being her brother. But also the fact that every single male has a soft spot for her because of how fucking gorgeous she is. Like part of it, yeah. Her mind is like, it's pathetic. And Jenny's like, well, I suppose you like how she says every, don't you? <laughs> you just can't not like her because she's just so perfect the fucking perfect blonde hair and her perfect body and her perfect voice everything <laughs> about her is just fucking perfect so i totally get that <laughs> yes i think it's just a mix of everything um yeah so <laughs> it's just that whole rant so then they're like looking through fred and george's old boxes and they find this telescope which then Ron mentions that their joke shop's doing really well, and they haven't been, but they will be going when they go down to Diagon Alley. And then Harry tells them that the prophet's got it right, that he is the chosen one, and tells them what the prophecy said. And Hermione's so shocked that she literally punches herself in the face. <laughs> yeah. But I do really love on... On my book, the British version, in page 97, they well, he's telling them that Dumbledore wants to have extra lessons with him, and they're all trying to think of what could possibly be going on in these extra lessons, what Dumbledore will be teaching him. And I love when it says, Harry did not really listen. A warmth was spreading through him that had nothing to do with the sunlight. A tight obstruction in his chest seemed to be dissolving. He knew that Ron and Hermione were more shocked than they were letting on. But the mere fact that they were still there on either side of him, speaking bracing words of comfort, not shrinking from him as though he were contaminated or dangerous, was worth more than he could ever tell them. Yeah, I have that written down too. Again, this book and this whole series is just such... I mean, friendship is just so important. And the way she highlights it and now he's appreciating them more and more. I think he's finally realizing, like, they're in there for the long haul. They're his ride or dies. Right, and... Obviously, Dumbledore was right in that he needed to tell them. Yeah. Well, then they get their OWLs, and everyone did pretty well. Yeah. You know? Besides Harry's troll grade, or dreadful grade in History of Magic, because, well, he passed out. Who wouldn't have failed? He did really well. But who really cares? But unfortunately, he did not do well enough in potions to be able to take Snape's next level so his dreams of being an or came crashing down which i think is just so unfair yes it is very unfair. like who actually besides hermione and maybe draco but like that just seems really tough to get an outstanding in potions for anybody right yeah well, i guess people did it if snape was the professor whenever they went through but yeah i don't know but anyway um so then they get to Diagon Alley, and Hagrid is their security detail, which, God help that. us all. I love it, but God help us I all. I know, but I do love how it's a nice little callback to his first time walking through Diagon Alley. How Hagrid is kind of always the one there to be his security detail. Yes, that's a good point. I do love that. Also, we should point out before that that um, they heard that Karkaroff's body was found. Yes. Death Eaters finally cut off Tim. So, Karkaroff's... He bit Dead. the big one. Yep. And so then they go into the robe shop where they see Draco and his mother being assholes. And mm-hmm. Harry kind of sasses them. And it's a whole thing because sassy Harry just can't keep it contained around Draco. And he shouldn't have to. And Draco's mom. Yeah, and Draco's mom. He's kind of a bitch. So then they finally get to see Fred and George's shop and get to see how well they're doing and gets to see the you know poo signs <laughs> outside and one of my favorite 
quotes, they'll be murdered in their beds. <laughs> I just love the picture of their outfits that they're wearing and how it clashes so boldly with yes. their red hair. They're just, they're just, they're just a full on swag mood. Loud and, and eccentric. Yeah. They have reached like their true calling, their true potential, and really, really proud of them. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, they tell Harry to, of course, help himself to whatever, since he's who believed in them and gave them their starter money. And then they kind of slut shame Ginny a little bit, which is kind of <laughs> annoying. Um, because she's like, um, excuse me, I'm dating one person. And right. then they, they mention another person. And she's like, okay, well, that's two. Like, don't believe everything Ron has told you. But I love that she stands up to them and puts them in their place. And that J.K. Rowling chose to highlight that. She's really highlighting Ginny a lot. Yeah, we keep getting all these little Ginny moments, and we keep getting all of these little hints that Ginny is a pretty attractive gal, and all the guys kind of like her. Yeah. Around the same time that Harry starts thinking, oh, wow, she has really long, flowy red hair. Wow, Ginny's really cute. Um, so then, of course, he sees his other little crush and follows Malfoy um, down Nocturne Alley. They all get under the cloak again, which I love because they haven't done that in a while. And they overhear Malfoy telling poor Borgen, who gets verbally abused by him, to just keep it safe. And that he'll, you know, be back for it and not to have anyone buy it. And then Hermione decides to go in and be like, (laughs) the most uncouth person ever. She's like, oh, my friend Draco was just in here. And Borgen's Um, like, get the fuck out. This for sale? Is this for sale? Um, how about this one? Um, you know what? You know, that boy who was in here, he's actually my friend, and I'm trying to get him a present, um, but I don't want to get him anything he hasn't gotten already. Out! Get out! <laughs> she, gosh, like, she's oh, the wow. brightest witch of her age, but that was a rough moment for her. I mean, don't we all know those people who are so book smart, but as far as street smarts go, they just, it, they just don't got it. Right. She's definitely that person. Yes, she is. And so then Harry is, like, really fixated on it. And Hermione's like, agreed, it was fishy, but, like, we ha- we have no idea. Like, it could have been anything. So just drop right. it until we have right. some evidence. And, of course, he's not going to. That's half the book. And, you know, as far as I've said, and I've said this multiple times on, and I'm pretty sure I've said this multiple times on this podcast, how much I hate how obsessed harry is with draco in this entire book and it even starts really early and it goes throughout the entire book he was fucking right about him so i have to give him credit for that yeah he straight up called him out he's like he's a death eater he's replaced his father and he's a death eater and he's planning something he's plotting something and someone needs to take this seriously and he tries to tell arthur weasley about this and Arthur basically has the same response. He's like, no, no, Voldemort, no, Voldemort wouldn't do that with a 16-year-old kid. And yeah. Harry's like, really? Do we really know what Voldemort would or wouldn't do? And basically no one is taking it seriously besides Harry, and Harry's fucking right about it. So right. as much as it annoys me how much he obsesses, just because I hate reading about it all the time, it's valid and warranted. So I give him that. It is. And then he gets turned down by Ginny for the first time. He asks her if she fancies trying to find a compartment because, of course, Ron and Hermione have prefect duties. She's like, no, I'm going to meet Dean. Bye. Oh, sorry, Harry. Got to meet Dean. <laughs> she's doing this all on purpose. She knows exactly what she's doing. Yeah. And then Luna and Neville, he meets up with them, but only briefly because he gets an invitation from Slughorn to join him for a bite of lunch. Department seat. But it also it's important to point out that people are already obsessing over Harry. Ramil Devane has already been in there and she's like, Do you want to come sit with the cool kids? You don't have to sit with them. Yeah. Like and fuck off Ramilda. Then poor Luna's like, Oh, she just thinks we're not cool enough. And Harry's like, I think you're cool. Oh, that's very nice. That's nice. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, just we get a lot of those. Them. We get a lot of those moments with Luna just in this chapter and this scene where she's like, "Oh yeah, I miss the DA. It was like having friends. Oh, you think we're cool?" Blah blah blah. And Harry's just like, "Wow, I just keep feeling uncomfortable and not knowing what to say around you." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Then he goes to Slughorn's compartment with Neville, and 
realizes that he has walked into a little slug club party and they also have Blaise Sabini in there who I think we referred to last week and why he was in there because his mom was a famously beautiful witch who was very wealthy and made her fortune by basically all her husbands mysteriously dying and then there's also two seventh year boys we've got Cormac McLaggen who's in Gryffindor and uh, Marcus Belby who was in Ravenclaw, and it was very thin and nervous looking. And then Jenny is in there, and he's like, the heck? What is Jenny doing in here? But we learned that Slughorn invited her because he happened to be passing her compartment while she performed the bat bogey hex on somebody. And <laughs> Jenny thought that she was going to be in trouble. She's like, shit, the professor got me. But instead, he's like, you want to come get some lunch with me? So <laughs> she's like, I don't know what I'm doing here either. And uh, it's just a whole slughorn basically poking for information from people trying to figure out how well connected they actually are. He goes one by one and then you could see that he like really didn't, he wasn't impressed by Belby at all and like didn't even offer him a sandwich when it came his time to take one. Poor Belby. (laughs) Poor Belby. Then the obsession with Malfoy continues. He not so slyly sneaks into the Slytherin cabin. Right, right. Like, that was so stupid. And Malfoy is laying there, like, in Pansy Parkinson's lap, getting groomed, which, ew. Um, And (laughs) his leg pops out from under the cloak. Malfoy totally sees him. And then he, like, screams pretty much when Goyle's reaching for his trunk and swung it down, hit him right in the head. Which is eavesdropping. And Malfoy is there bragging about how he has... He might not come to Hogwarts next year. He's got bigger and better things to worry about. And Harry's like, aha, he just confirmed everything. And, you know, I love Harry, but he was a little naive and He underestimates Malfoy. I think he's conceited enough to think that he could just get away with any spontaneous dangerous idea plan that he comes to think of because he's done it so many times he just was like oh Malfoy seemed not to notice or whatever like obviously people can play off if they notice something so don't think that you're so slick getting away with this when you clearly are giving yourself away yeah and honestly like I'm not saying I'm glad that he got jumped but I'm kind of glad he got caught because sometimes Harry needs these humbling moments and he got it he really does underestimate Draco yeah, he does. He really does. And at this point, yes, we've all said that Draco's a little bitch and Draco is weak, but he's really not. He is, you know, powerful in his own right. And at this point, he's a determined person. Like, he is determined to carry out whatever Voldemort gave him to do. Right. And at, at this point, their feud has just come to a head and he stuns Harry and then steps on his face and breaks his nose straight up steps on his face and then walks on his hands his fingers on the way out yeah and harry's like well um and he's under the invisibility cloak so he's like i'm just gonna be stuck here until i get back to london and someone comes into the compartment but luckily tonks runs onto the train and sees that the shutters were drawn on that compartment and noticed that harry hadn't got off the train and found him and fixed his nose and walked him up to Hogwarts gates where she had hoped that Hagrid would have received her Patronus that she had Harry and that they were going to meet them at the gates but it was Snape who came down and obviously had wanted to take the time those few minutes of walking up to the castle to basically torment Harry and bully him and Harry actually rised above it this time he didn't say anything because he he didn't talk back to Snape because he knew that's exactly what Snape wanted. And then he walks into the Great Hall and we realize that his face was covered in blood. <laughs> and not only are people looking at him because he's the chosen one, but because obviously he got into some trouble before he came to dinner. Yeah. And then Ron and Hermione obviously won't drop it because they want to know what happened. And he's like, I'm not going to tell you here. Like, not going to air out my dirty laundry here because, of course, everyone is listening. Mm-hmm. You know, and then Dumbledore straight up tells them that, yes, Voldemort's back and we need to, you know, come together and be very cautious. And Mr. Filch banned all of the Weasleys. 
uh, items, which I think is funny. But I think the saddest part... Oh, 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 and then there's a big announcement that Snape will be teaching Defense Snape Against the Dark Arts. Yep. Yes. And Harry gets straight up savage. Well, there's one good thing, he says savagely. Snape will be gone by the end of the year. What do you mean, asks Ron. <laughs> that job's jinxed. No one's lasted more than a year. Coral actually died doing it. Personally, I want to keep my fingers crossed for another death. Harry, said Hermione, shocked and reproachful. He might just go back to teaching potions at the end of the year, said Ron reasonably. That slughorn bloke might not want to stay long term. Moody didn't. So, you know, Harry at this point just doesn't give a fuck. You know, Snape has pissed him off so many times. And then after that whole situation on the train, just not into it. Um, He's in a mood. Yeah. He's just, he's in a very big mood. So... He finally tells them what happened with the nose. Well, he tells Ron because Hermione darted off to fulfill her prefect duties of escorting yeah. the first years away. And Ron's like, well, what really happened to your nose? I saw Malfoy doing, I mean, some little action with a nose. And uh, Harry was just like, oh, well, yeah, that happened. But never mind that. Guess what I found out? And he told Ron that he basically thought that Malfoy had confirmed that he was a Death Eater and... Ron, again, was kind of unimpressed with everything that Harry said to Harry's shock and was just like, he's just showing off for Parkinson. What kind of mission would you know who had given him? Blah, blah, blah. And then Hagrid comes up and and Hagrid also was late to the feast, which is why he hadn't escorted Harry up to the castle. And we find out that neither Harry, Ron, or Hermione were planning to take care of magical creatures. And Hagrid's like, well, I'll see you tomorrow. And they're like, oh, shit. None of us are taking Hagrid's subject. How is he going to react to that? And that's basically how the chapter ends before we move on to the namesake of Kind of on a little low note. Yep. Cliffhanger, if you will. (laughs) A cliffhanger. But no, yeah, the first eight chapters, we got to Hogwarts. We kind of got some background of what's been going on. This book is much more adult than the others. You just, you get some, you know, boring background stuff that's actually exciting and you appreciate more as an adult and there's a lot has happened and we, it's already building. Like, yeah, that's what I was going to, I feel like there is just a constant build. Like, I feel like the music is just like building and building and building and this in this book until we get to the climax and right i'm excited to go back through it and i know that neither of us are thrilled that we're going to be watching the first part of half-blood prince this week, okay well but... i'm just gonna say this if we're off on the movie sorry <laughs> not really where to stop it so the beginning shouldn't be too bad they will know where to stop it but it's literally gonna be like 10 minutes so yeah that'll be fun but as always, you can find us at HP Half Drunk on Instagram and Twitter and Harry Potter and the Half Drunk Podcast on Facebook and HPHalfDrunk.com. Yep, and be sure to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And you can also find us on Spotify, Stitcher, Himalaya, iHeartMusic, all those places. And we also have a direct link that you can click in your browser to open if you don't have any of those platforms whenever we post on social media each week. Yep. All right. Well, have a good week. Cheers. Mischief managed. Mischief managed.